Welcome back, Poison Pals, to another episode with your host, Harini Bot. And your other host, Megan Gesner. Sorry, I should have not said other. Or I set you up to say other, but that's okay. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Whatever. It's uh, all good. Anyways. <laughs> Megan, how have you been? It's been so long since we've last seen each other. <laughs> I know. A full, mm, what, nine, Not ten even 24 hours. hours. Yeah, 10 hours maybe. Oh, no. My parents have been doing a kitchen renovation, so they told us to get out. <laughs> <laughs> and so we hung out with Megan all day and it was a blast. We had such a good time. Yeah, it was it was honestly so nice. And okay, I will say that I love Dave Davis Rainey's husband. I realize I feel like I haven't had such in-depth conversation with him. Like yeah. we have talked. Yeah. But like I was like, wow, we're really like having like deep talks today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I was like, I feel like we're all s- closer on a different level now (laughs) super super enjoyed it i love how i don't know opinionated he was on some of the stuff we talked about and i was like damn okay like let's get into it dude (laughs) yeah if there's anything dave has it's an opinion (laughs) it's great it's really 100 yeah Okay, well, we're just going to cut straight to it because we are recording on a Sunday morning. The day has yet to be seized. So we're Mm going to get right mm -hmm. into the poison of it all. If there is a poison, we'll see. All right, Megan, you tell Mm -hmm. us what's going to happen today. All right, folks. So today I'm going to talk about the Philadelphia poison ring of the oh, 1930s do yes yes yeah. okay very good were you gonna do a story on it did i take it from you no not at all i like i remember when we first started the pod it popped up on like a list of poison stories and it was very interesting yeah but i don't know anything yeah about it. it's like actually pretty it's like a pretty simple situation okay. uh, which i'll get into but uh, i want to shout shout out to phil uh because he's the one who brought this to my attention cool. And admittedly, I was like, well, I my most recent episode before this was mm-hmm. also kind of like a gang-related story. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I guess I'll just keep on this kind of like gang-related um, crime poisoning yeah. thing. But also, like, it's in Philadelphia, and you know my favorite show <laughs> is Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's true. And I was like, automatically, I was like, if I do this story, we could do like a play on words for the title of the episode yeah. of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But um. It, it, it's hard to come up with something. I've thought about it for a long time. Like, I probably won't do that. Uh, that is all to say. I've got actually a couple friends now who live in Philly. Mm. Um, college friends who have moved oh. there. One friend of mine, Arizona. Shout out to Arizona. Ooh. She's She grew up in Philly. So um, Arizona, once you hear this, DM <laughs> us or text me. Let me know like how much you knew about this or if this is something that's like deeply rooted in the history of Philadelphia. Mm. Because, uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, so, let's get into it. Um, my sources, real fast. I utilized the Times machine. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, so, there was an article about it during that time when mm-hmm. people were getting arrested. And so, a Times machine came through there. Um, a book called Engendered Death Pennsylvania Woman Who Kill by Joseph W. Lath. Um, Wyndham Peak, just like a website that had an article. Mm-hmm. Arsenic and No Lace, The Bizarre Tale of a Philadelphia Murder Ring mm-hmm. by Robert James Young Jr. That was just a journal article. Uh, article in Thought Catalog. 
and Murderpedia. Yeah. <laughs> the the bigger up. jump from Wikipedia is just Murderpedia. Love it. All right, all right. Okay, so um, I'll start with the people who were kind of the masterminds behind this ring. We have the Patrio cousins. Already there's contradicting information from my sources here, but... Um, <laughs> They are Italian-American first cousins okay. who either grew up in Philadelphia or that was that was one source that said mm-hmm. that, or they immigrated to the U.S. around the time of World War One. But oh. the idea is that they're Italian-American first cousins who lived in Philadelphia. Gotcha. Um, and their names are Herman Patrio and Paul Patrio. Herman Patrio, um, prior to them getting into these shenanigans Mm -hmm. um, of what will be the Philadelphia Poison Ring, was actually a spaghetti salesman. (laughs) And Paul was a successful tailor. But then the Great Depression hit. And for context, let's let's talk about the setting. So nationwide during the Mm -hmm. Depression, there was a 15% unemployment rate. Philadelphia wow. alone had a 25% unemployment rate. Wow. So it was like hard, hard struck by the depression mm-hmm. for some reason. And money and food were especially scarce in that city. And, and a lot of Northeast Coast cities were very, very hard struck. In Philly, there is um, a large Italian immigrant population in the city. And between 1910 and 1930, they experienced over a 100% increase in that Italian immigrant population. Oh, wow. So in 1910, there was about 67,000 Italian immigrants. Mm-hmm. By 1930, it was 155,000. Oh, so like whoa. a big boom. So it's a lot of people coming into the city during a really bad time. Yeah. And for additional like context, there's also a very large Irish immigrant population mm-hmm that's a little slightly more established in Philly at the time. Mm -hmm. And they held a very strong belief that big businesses were actually shipping in all, you know, these poor Italian immigrants into these cosmopolitan spaces in order to disrupt the strikes that the Irish were holding because Uh they were working hard on this labor union movement. Mm -hmm. And so this caused a natural fraction between the two ethnicities and they naturally separated into their own parts of the city how interesting okay so that's just like the backdrop of this crime ring so the the story is set in the great depression or just after that yeah okay Okay. during during like 1932 to 1938 this is when all this stuff goes down cool so so i had mentioned herman patrio and paul patrio they had regular jobs prior to the depression Herman selling spaghetti Paul <laughs> selling uh, is a tailor um he just as a, spaghetti. as a side just spaghetti yeah, no just other pasta, pasta. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm, I mean it just in my sources it only says spaghetti I love it yeah just do one thing really good <laughs> so I don't, I don't know <laughs> um <laughs> That is kind of funny, though. It's like it's a one-stop shop for spaghetti. You only. got ravioli? No, um, just spaghetti. No. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, for Paul, Paul, who had the tailor shop, mm-hmm. one thing he did prior to the Depression that will play into their criminal activities is he did actually hold a side business out of his shop um, acting as like a mythic slash apothecary Whoa. to the Italian community. That's dope. Um, and he 
he advert well, oh, okay. he, I mean, yeah, but like how he uses it later is like, yeah. <laughs> um, so he, he even advertised himself as Professor P. Patrill, divine healing and private readings. That was wow. like his business. And he practiced La Fatura, which I looked this up. I mean, current translation translate it, translates it into like an invoice or bill. But in this context, La Fatura means like a fixing or a spell. So, like, oh. he practiced magic for, like, the Italian community because that is something that they s- believed in. Oh, um, I know that. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So, the Depression hits, and things are not going well for Herman and Paul in their own businesses, just like everybody else. Like, everyone else is suffering and struggling. Herman starts to delve into counterfeit counterfeiting money and arse arse is becomes an arsonist arsony you know like arsonist? i don't know arsonist? That, those are arsonist, the, yeah yeah like setting fire, fire to yeah. things yeah so that that he ends up turning kind of towards that criminal route of just okay. like i'm gonna do counterfeit money and then be an arsonist as well okay. um and then paul he turns to well actually it, this ties into the arsonist situation paul with herman turns to insurance fraud and what they do is they convince people to take out these policies as a reminder because i think we've talked about this before in a previous episode Mm -hmm. so as a reminder during this time you could take out an insurance policy on a person or at this point in their criminal activities they're taking it out on buildings or whatever because they're gonna commit arsony to collect the insurance mm-hmm. from oh, that gotcha. but yeah but what eventually starts to escalate is they start to take insurance policies out on people or convincing right. people to take insurance policies out on others so mm-hmm. what i was trying to say is during this time you could take an insurance policy out on someone without them knowing so <laughs> if I, like if Harini and I were teleported back in the day and I wanted to like take an insurance policy on her, I could do that without her knowledge. And if she were to be injured or die or whatever, I could claim that money without a medical examination. That's crazy to Um, me. uh, It's a life insurance policy to be clear, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there was a little like subtext that like in terms of the medical examination Mm -hmm. you were this was not required for policies under five hundred dollars so whatever the patrio cousins were peddling policy wise they must have been under five hundred dollars smart but that's still big money at the end of the day um in terms of payout you know Mm. during this time especially Mm -hmm. during the depression (laughs) so what they ended up doing is they started this insurance fraud scheme okay, take a policy out on a shop or building, and then, you know, they set it on fire and collect the claim. And then it escalates to, we're going to take it out on people, Mm -hmm. and they would hire thugs for murder. They would hire thugs to, like, do their dirty work. And certain insurance policies were, like, double indemnity. Mm -hmm. So the more violent the death, the higher the payout. (laughs) So sometimes they would make thugs, like, go out and like run over someone multiple (gasps) times or beat them with a lead pipe or like drown them viciously like just crazy stuff so this is what the cousins are doing (laughs) they did have a another primary colleague his name was morris bulber Mm -hmm. and out of this whole 
growing crime syndicate. Morris was the only one who was not Italian. He was actually a Russian Jew who had immigrated Mm. to Philadelphia around the same time. But he had a history of knowing how to peddle magical practices in the community. So people, the Italians naturally trusted him. Sorry, there's a siren going by my house. Naturally trusted him because he knew how to like talk about La Fatura and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So they pulled him in and he also was in on this growing insurance fraud scheme. So Mm -hmm. what happens over time is they realize that they can marry these two concepts of pretty much exploiting the Italian beliefs and superstitions and magic and all that Mm -hmm. with insurance fraud. So they start, oh man, this is going to be a really short story. I'm already like flying through this. (laughs) It's it's like halfway there. So so anyway, um, so they, they recognize that during this depression era, people are so vulnerable and desperate that they're willing to really believe and buy into anything that they sell through the magic and Mm -hmm. witchcraft side of things. What they do is they not only do they do readings and stuff, but they sell elixirs and love Mm. potions uh, as well. And they notice that there's a lot of unhappy women and some men, Mm -hmm. you know, in their community who have lost a husband recently, like widowers who are trying to find love again, Mm -hmm. or just women who are unhappy in their marriage. And they even recruit certain women into their business in order to pull in a larger clientele. So they do hire women to be these spiritual counselors. Mm -hmm. uh, The name, the Italian word for it is fatucieri. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I have (laughs) never really learned Italian ever. But the word is fatucieri, which translates to like wise women, witches, or spiritual counselors. Cool. And they would sell these products, these love potions, do these Mm -hmm. readings, and gain the trust of these very vulnerable Italian, predominantly women yeah. and men. And some key names here, which I actually won't go into their stories. They just worked for the Patrio right. cousins, ultimately. Key names are Maria Carina Favato, Josephine Sedita, and Rose Carina. Rose Carina will actually pop up a little bit more often because she ultimately ends up giving up the, the cousins and being oh. a, a witness to that. Her time in prison is shortened sort of thing. So these women would lure other women into this business. And then alongside selling potions, they would also be like, oh, you know, you should also consider taking out an insurance policy oh my on your husband that you might, oh. you know. And, and <laughs> here, were, here, were the, here were the reasonings that they would push that. So some women would come in and maybe their husband was already sick. You know, mm-hmm. maybe their husband was already sick. So a woman, well, a well-meaning woman might come in and be like, I'm so desperate. I need you to cast a spell or something oh. so that my husband can cure and our family can be restored or whatever. Yeah. And these fatucieris would be like, okay, I'll do this fatura for you. Mm-hmm. But I think you should also consider taking out a life insurance policy in case he does die sort of wow. thing. So like there are some women who came in who were very naive and innocent yeah. to it. And they would be like, okay, yeah, like, I guess, you know, that sounds shitty, but I guess worst case scenario, you know, maybe if he, if he dies, at least there's a payout, but not knowing some of them would be sold like 
potions or elixirs, those elixirs might have been marketed, might have been marketed as like, this will heal your husband. Okay. And so they'd be like, they'd buy this elixir thinking it'd heal them. And they've signed this certain insurance policy just in case like worse comes to worse and the husband dies. Right. But what they didn't know is that these elixirs had large doses of arsenic and antimony in them. And here's what's even more (laughs) awful to me. Some of these potions cost up to $300 at the time. What? Which is the equivalent to $5,500 today. What? And so this is just to note that despite everyone being so freaking poor, the desperation is so high that they're willing to give all their money just to, like, save their family. God, that's horrible. Now, so that's one one faction of clientele sure there was a faction of clientele you know rumors do did start to swirl that this can be a cure to your abusive husband you know like or this can be a cure to your alcoholic spouse and they will go away forever (laughs) and so there was some you know people who utilize their services that did recognize okay, I, I'm going to take this insurance policy out and then they're probably going to die, which yeah. means I'll collect money yeah. sort of thing. So there was some knowledge. Mm-hmm. But it was like some people were ignorant, some people were not so much. I did want to talk about one account of a man who sought these services, a man named Dominic Cassetti. He sought help from another syndicate witch, quote unquote syndicate witch, <laughs> syndicate named, witch. Providenza, <laughs> I know, named Providenza Miclucci whom he says enticed him down to a candlelit basement mm-hmm. with skulls lining the walls. Whoa. She told him to feed some of her white, quote, charm powder to his wife. He did, and she died. And he was eventually <laughs> convicted of murder. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm just, uh, yeah. I'm just laughing because, like, um, I, you know, obviously took this from a source. But I'm like, <laughs> this is one of those things where I'm like, okay, was there really a candlelit basement with skulls lining the walls? Yeah. I envision more of, like, just like an apothecary shop. Maybe there's candles, but sure. I can't imagine that there's skulls. Like, that sounds, like, really beefed up. You right. You know what I mean? Agreed, agreed. Anyway. So so this is what the Patrio cousins do. They, they just create this poison ring, but it's a business for them. Mm-hmm. Where it's an end to the community. Some people see it as, like, oh, it's a matrimonial service. So they're, like, just preying on this need um of spouses to like have their familial problems solved or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other sad part obviously is they make these people take insurance policies out on their loved ones. And then once those people died, those spouse, the, the you know, their living spouse would not get that money. It would go mm-hmm. to the Patrios. Mm-hmm. And what they, you know, also preyed upon is remember, these are a lot of freshly immigrated Italians right. you know, to the States who do not, some of them do not know how to read or speak English. Mm, so they'd bring these papers and then they'd like sign and, you know, Ugh, that's very trusting of these people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so that was another thing. So how does it all come to an end? So mind you, this started in 1932 and goes all the way to 1938. So they do Yikes. this for six years and just the, what's the word? Um, the conversion of dollars from back then to now, they were making millions of dollars wow. on these insurance policies. You know, um, I bet, yeah. Now, like that, mm-hmm. yeah. Like there is somewhere that said Rose Carina, one of their quote, quote, witches or fatuccieries, mm-hmm. she like took an insurance policy out on her own husband that was like $8,000 and that 
equals to like a hundred thousand dollars to this day you know like they were making big money for the time yeah killing people (laughs) and during the depression so so, it's nuts and during the depression so how does it all come to an end so in june of 1938 a man it all comes down to this guy (laughs) a man by the name of george meyer is recently released from jail and upon his release, he wants to start a cleaning business. And all he needs to start that cleaning business is $25, which oh. is a large amount of money during this time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he actually ends up seeking out Herman for a loan. I don't know how he finds Herman if he, you know, someone referred to him. But he right. comes across Herman knowing that, you know, they they do this sort of work in terms of um, lending money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he goes to him for a loan. Herman ends up actually, uh, he offers Meyer an opportunity, but he's like, okay, I can either give you $600 in real cash or $2,500 in counterfeit cash if you help me kill a man named Ferdinand Alfonsi. So basically, Meyer goes to Herman for a loan. Herman is like, I'll give you money if I can hire you as a thug sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to kill this one guy named Alfonsi. He just got out of prison. What? <laughs> I know. Don't do it. Poor bro. Meyer. It's like I just. It's like I just want twenty five dollars. <laughs> I, I just want to start. I have to kill I'm a man Literally now. trying to clean right. up my act with my cleaning business. <laughs> I know. Poor guy. Oh, that's cute. Actually, that's really funny. <laughs> okay. Um. So anyway, what Meyer doesn't know is that this Alfonsi guy, the target. Yeah. His wife had already met with the Patrio cousins in their business and she had already taken insur- an insurance claim out on him. Got it. And this Alfonsi, it, it is noted that he was one of those situations where he did not speak English nor could read it. And apparently they mm-hmm. took out tons of insurance policies on him <laughs> and he would just sign it with a cross. Like his signature was just like a cross. And just like very trusting. And wow. so that was kind of like the plot that was happening between his wife and the Patrio cousins. So now they're at a point where it's like, Herman's like, okay, time to pay out. This guy yeah. needs to, to die. <laughs> and this is also another situation where his policy is the type that the more violent the death, the bigger oh, the payout. Yeah. So Herman is like, hey, Meyer, I need you to go club him with a lead pipe <sighs> and then push him down a flight of stairs. And Meyer is like, um, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he actually pulls out. He's like, this is not worth <laughs> any of this like it's not worth and Meyer actually goes and reports this proposal wow, activity him. to the police yes. the Philadelphia police yeah like he's really trying to start fresh right like, he just wants a, a mop <laughs> he doesn't want to like yeah snuff someone out <laughs> so the sad thing is the police totally dismiss Meyer they're like what you're saying is totally delusional we don't believe your claims we're gonna ignore you mm. so they do but then Meyer is like, oh, hell no. He reaches out to the U.S. Secret Service branch of Philadelphia. Like, he what? really felt compelled to say something. You know what I mean? He How does he just, have like, their phone number? his head and gone away. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm sure he walked to the building. Wow. You know, like, I don't know. Good for I him. don't know. Yeah, so he reaches out to them. And it turns out that the Secret Service were already investigating Herman Patrio for counterfeiting money for counterfeit fraud yeah it's kind of an interesting thing because when i do the when i did the research on this story as a whole 
every source maintains at this point in the story mm-hmm. it's mostly Herman that's the main target like mm-hmm. Paul kind of just disappears <laughs> into the background like you yeah. don't hear anything about Paul Patrio the other cousin so what happens is the Secret Service introduces two undercover federal agents to Meyer mm. now Meyer's like an inside man like his, his life went from being out of prison to being like in part of this huge federal investigation and these two agents their names are Landvoit and Phillips they go with Meyer to meet with Herman and they're like yeah we'll kill this Alfonsi guy mm. um, but you gotta pay us and remember they're trying to oust Herman for counterfeit fraud they don't really care about wow. the murder claims oh <laughs> so what they're trying to do is just get Herman to pay them with counterfeit money yeah. in any transaction if there's counterfeit money that's that's used they can nab him Herman and them discuss several different methods of killing Alfonsi. And one of these methods in particular is, again, running Alfonsi over in, like, an area out of town just over and over again with a car. Oh, my God. One of the federal agents is like, okay, well, we need money to buy a car. Can you do that for us? Like, you know, give us yeah. money for a car. Right. Just to, like, get that counterfeit money. Weirdly... So these conversations happen, but then they don't hear from Herman for weeks. Like, mm-hmm. there's a long stall in Weird. this plan. And Myers, on a whim, decides to go visit the Alfonsi household. Uh-oh. And he finds, oh, shit, Alfonsi is already in a very grave condition. Yeah. He's suffering from this bizarre illness with bulging eyes, and he's not able to speak. He's immobile. Mm. And he brings that back to the federal agents. He's like, yo, something's already up. Yeah. With Alfonsi, like, he's dying. Yeah. <laughs> he's dying. So what happens is Landvoit and Phillips, the federal agents, they go back to Herman. You know, they finally are able to meet with him again. And he, for some reason, still gives them... He, he does pay them for transportation. Mm-hmm. He's like, here's money to buy a car That's or something. Strange. Like, here's money to transport yourself to a crime scene. And it's all counterfeit dollars. So it's in an envelope. Hmm. So he pays them. I don't know why. That's unclear. But the one of the agents, Phillips, mm-hmm. he asks, like, okay, well, what about the plan for Alfonsi? And Herman replies, like, oh, that won't be necessary. You know, it's been taken care of. That man must have nine lives because we gave him enough arsenic to kill ten men. Oh, my <laughs> god, Or six men. So he just reveals that yeah, information yeah. very <laughs> casually. But, you know... They got the fake money. They also got have an admission of murder. Mm-hmm. And on September 27th, 1938, they arrest Herman Patrio and they charge him with attempted murder. Mm. They recognize that based on Alfonsi's, you know, circumstances in an autopsy, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, there have been other deaths happening these past couple of years uh... that all match the same <laughs> thing that Alfonsi went through. Yeah. Like he has some high levels of arsenic mm-hmm. poisoning. Mm-hmm which is something that we've been seeing but have not been paying attention to. So one thing, though, is that it's actually still difficult to convict someone in poisoning cases unless you can actually prove that they administered the poison. Mm -hmm. But but it becomes a very easy case. Like, this is one of the stories where there's no, like, roundabout way to get there. (laughs) They somehow get a testimony from Herman Patrio's nephew, John Mm -hmm. Cacapardo. Cacapardo. Mm -hmm. And he... Cacapardo was, you know, 28 year old. He was already serving a life sentence in New York Sing Sing prison for murdering his girlfriend. So he's yes. not a good person. Cacapardo claims that his uncle, Herman, mm-hmm. framed him for that murder because he knew about the poison rings ongoings. So basically, John, as the nephew, is claiming, I was framed because I knew about the poison ring, but I didn't want to join it. Mm-hmm. So my uncle framed me for my girlfriend's murder. 
um, and all okay. that. So they get a testimony from his nephew, essentially. Gotcha. And that allows them to pretty much nab everyone who's involved with the Patrios yeah. crime ring. Um, which amounts to a total of 25 ring members. Wow. So they have like a sprawling business. That's a lot business. of people. Yeah. Yeah. Between, in, in these six years, 1932 to 1938, this ring killed up to 100 people. Wow. Which I think That's is significant. That is like, a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of money. 100 people in six years. <laughs> yeah. A lot of money. Wow. To wrap it up. Or see, it's already done. <laughs> let's, wrap, let's wrap it up. Most of the Philadelphia poison ring cases were tried in 1939 mm. and 1940. Both the Patrio cousins received the death penalty Dang. and were executed by electric chair Whoa. in 1941. Remember that they're calling Morris Bober? Yeah. Morris and one of their fetuccieris, mm-hmm. Karina Favado, yeah. they gave testimony against the Patrio, so they received life sentences. Uh-huh. 25 cases were tried total and 20 with 22 convictions Dang. so that's the story of the philadelphia crime ring of the 1930s wow that i mean poison ring sorry nuts. philadelphia poison ring that is nuts so yeah One and interesting done. part like to me i'm it's thanks <laughs> interesting part to me uh, is that it's one of those like bits of american history mm-hmm. that you're never gonna learn about no unless you <laughs> unless you do a podcast yeah I know. you know what i mean like you're never gonna learn about this in high school like right. it's like a small part of history and one part of the united states Dang. and it has to do with italian immigrants i mentioned yeah. irish uh immigrants because there was actually an irish detective who was part of the case oh, cool. but this is again inconsistencies with the sources yeah. they name him i think his name was mcdevitt or mcdewitt Mm-hmm. They said that he was like a big player in this, but like they drop his name and then his name never comes up again. And <laughs> right. that was consistent in like all the articles. So I'm like, why are you mentioning <laughs> him ultimately yeah, when it yeah. was like mostly Myers and the two federal agents who yeah. like brought it down? But That's interesting. if anyone knows more about that story and um, Irish investigator, I should really make sure I get his name right so that people can fact check me after if they want to. Vincent P. McDevitt. Uh, okay, okay. McDevitt. Oh, so okay. he was the assistant dis- district attorney in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who employs the federal agents to, like, Got go it. out and investigate. Makes sense. So, okay. So he would be the the top of the pyramid in that regard. So, yeah. I think... Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a story. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was great. I was thinking... Um, I did not... I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I did not realize that in Italian heritage or culture that there was like this um, belief in magic. And yeah. it's really interesting because usually like women are the ones that will private tarot readings or that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. potions and elix- elixirs. So it was interesting to see yeah. a man kind of monopolize on that business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they didn't, discriminate's not the right word, but like they just, they had clientele of both right. gender or, you know, yeah. at the time, both yeah. genders. Yeah, which I do find interesting. But I think that's a testament of, like, how deeply rooted this, you know, superstition or Mm -hmm. belief in magic is within that culture. Like, it's not a female-specific thing. Totally, totally. Yeah. I think think that's, like, I'm curious to know because now Mm. that I think about it, I'm like, maybe it wasn't such a, like, a female thing back then or even before Mm. that. Like, traditionally, it was, like, everybody believed in it. It was just, like, part of the culture. Yeah. And then it transitioned to being more of, like, a woman's thing. As, you know, oh, absolutely. I, I'm pretty confident, based on articles from that time, I'm sure media 
was the one to use the terms witchcraft and witch right. and things like that. Right. You know what I mean? Or, or American media and is the one that portrayed it like that. Yeah. Exactly. Gender it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. interesting. I, that was like a story I had on yeah. my docket or to look into. So I'm glad you did it. Nice and short and sweet. We love it. We love nice it. Not short. every episode like has to be. Because our episodes have been very long as of late. Like they've been an I hour know. and a half consistently. So this is kind of nice to yeah. to bring it down to size. Yeah. Perfect. We'll yeah. jump into cool. antidotes, right? You're done, right? All right. Okay. I'm done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to confirm. Um, I think honestly, my antidote was hanging out yesterday. Like I'm going to be moving up Dude, yeah. in like a week and a half. So it was nice to hang with megan uh and hopefully yes. a few more times before i go up officially but it was nice it wasn't yeah. like the best day in san diego yesterday but then like when we finally no, did go out it was kind of weird we had yeah. some like breakout sunshine and we rooftop and just yeah, like, yeah. hung out and had a good time so yeah good combo good people good food good drinks oh yeah <laughs> all of the above yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, the weather was really funky. And then by evening, it was, like, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. I was like, ugh. Yeah. Was, you know, hot and, like, overcast <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it's, ugh, like, not a that. good <laughs> mixture. Yeah, I, I I would like to use that as my antidote yeah. as well. Yeah. It was just a really nice time hanging out because I know our time together <laughs> physically. It's dwindling. It's shortening. Yeah, yeah, shortening very quickly. The pizza that we had last night was bomb diggity. So good. Definitely was so farty. Oh man, yeah. So farty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, honestly, I ate a lot of cheese yesterday for someone who's like lactose intolerant. (laughs) Dude, so much cheese. Uh, Because I I actually, I'm not someone who seeks cheese out. Uh, I I used to say that I don't like cheese, but I realized like, I'll gladly eat pizza, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. But I don't seek cheese out. So to Mm -hmm. suddenly eat an abundance of. She, like cheese pizza was interesting on my body yeah yeah i, I agree same i was laying in bed and i was like tooting and i was like oh my god like even the smell oh my god Megan. it was like the smell was cheesy anyway that's my antidote kind of felt good though to release and spill in the back hey phil <laughs> All right, guys, please rate, review, subscribe on all of the things. We've got our TikTok. We got our Instagram. Mm-hmm. We have this podcast. <laughs> so uh, please do all of the above. It really, really, really helps us. Like, it doesn't take much time. You guys just do one little click and maybe a few words yeah. of kindness goes a long way. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, me and take us out. you guys. Okay, okay. Mm. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot. There Spaghetti. was a lot of silly things in this one, even though a hundred people almost uh, like pretty much died. Yeah, uh, I know. I was yeah. You're right. Yeah. I was gonna do that. Don't risk it for that spaghetti biscuit. <laughs> Love it. Spaghetti. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Peace.